Hey friends, this is your friend Kenzie Dodds, and I'm joined by my friend, Dr. Michaela Greyer. I, I can't, I said it wrong. Can you pronounce <laughs> it right for us? <laughs> yeah, so my name is Michaela Greiler, and because it's very complicated, I'm also known as Dr. Michaela, which is a little bit easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, um, Dr. Michaela <laughs> is a, a good... I, I've developed a good relationship with her over Twitter over the last few months, and it's just been uh, such a pleasure to, to get to know you and become your friend, and I'm excited for all my friends to get to know you. So could you introduce yourself to us so we can get to know you a little bit? Yeah, sure. So I'm also really happy that I'm here. Uh, and uh, well, I, I've i been in IT for quite some time now and uh, just recently started my own company. And I think that's also, you know, how we met a little bit uh, more closely. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm focusing right now on helping teams to make code reviews their superpower. That's uh, how I call it. And um, end of last year, I started to do that full time. Before that, I was working as a software engineer and as a researcher at Microsoft. And before that, I was working as a researcher in the Netherlands, um, also in the software engineering area or field yeah yeah and that's where you got the your doctor title right Can yeah you, uh, tell us a little bit about like what what's what's it like to become a doctor of software <laughs> um <laughs> a bad idea <laughs> probably <laughs> no yeah it, it's it's it took me um around four or five years um to do that so from 2008 until beginning of 2013 and um, I was doing that in the in the Netherlands. I was uh, at the Delft University of Technology, and um, I was studying static and dynamic analysis techniques to help people understand software systems, um, particularly mm -hmm. also test systems. And um, what well, what does it mean? It means that you have to get used to a very specific culture. You know, people are writing papers. You have to understand how to write papers, how to conduct research, um, and I think it was a little bit different than I, than what I anticipated. A little bit hmm. more, less free. I actually thought that the researcher has a little bit more freedom. Um, so that's probably also why I left uh, uh, academia at the end uh, because I didn't I didn't feel that you have enough uh, freedom to do whatever you want. So I feel that now that I'm on my own or even at, at companies, right? You can you can deviate a little bit from the structured ways of doing things. Um, the right or the wrong way. Yeah. But um, mm. in general, I, I enjoyed my time um, doing doing a PhD. Yeah. And well, now you get to put doctor in front of your name, which is awesome. I, I wish it was, I, I have a master's degree in information systems and I, I wish it was more like socially accepted to put master in front of my name. <laughs> it's like master can't see dons. It's not really a culturally accepted thing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't do it for a long time. Um, uh, put the doctor in front of it. But at one point, I was, it was so painful to get that, I put it everywhere. <laughs> I, you know what? I think that it's awesome. You, you worked like outrageously hard. You absolutely deserve to, uh, to have that there. <laughs> uh, very, very cool. Um, so it's, it's such a pleasure to chat with you. And um, the things that you've been doing with your own business recently is uh, lots of training around code review, which is interesting because I've, I've never seen um, or heard of anyone giving training on something um, that like might be considered kind of a niche topic, uh, very specific. Um, so I'm really curious to know 
like what got you interested in code review and what is it about code review that like keeps you busy? Yeah. So it's not something that I really set out to do. It's more something that I grew into, I would say. Um, so uh, until now, I don't know if it's really a business <laughs> uh, right now. <laughs> right now. It pays the bills, um, but I'm really at the, at the start. And as you said, it's 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 a niche thing. So how does the whole thing start? Right? I was even during my PhD, I was working on dev tools and developer, you know, practices. What are developer doing? How can we help developer, you know, understand code, for example, or you know, mm -hmm. use, for example, as I said, um, static analysis or dynamic analysis to understand the software system. So a lot of the things that I did were about code comprehension. So how can you actually understand your code, which links to code reviews, right? Because there you have to do the same. You have to look at some piece of code and understand it and ask questions about it. Um, a lot of the things were about communicating about code, right? Um, and when I joined Microsoft, I was in the tools for software engineering team. So that was an internal team that were helping all the other product teams to be better at what they are doing, right? So for example, I worked with Office, I worked with Windows, I worked with Visual Studio, with all the larger product teams, and we helped them with their testing, for example. So um, one of the things that we did, we analyzed Office and Windows testing uh, suites and helped them to make them faster. So for example, test reduction, which techniques could you have there? You know, we can, How can you still... Uh, make sure that you're not slipping any uh, errors through or any defects through. And and part of that was also uh, code review. So our team owned the code review tool called CodeFlow. And um, so we were running studies because people were spending a lot of time on code reviews. And so, you know, within Microsoft, we have 40,000 developers. So the question wow. um, can be, you know, it, it's, it's a valid question to ask, are the people spending their time right? You know, if, if every developer mm. only spends six hours and one of the, and this is an old survey, right? But one of the the um, questions that we, we asked were how long are they spending? And they were like over six hours spending per each a developer Whoa. was spending six hours doing code reviews, right? So you ask, is that actually time worth spent? And so we uh, were and running- that was like six hours a week? A week, yes, sorry. Yeah, six hours a week. And so we were running studies to really understand what are, you know, is, is it a good practice? In which cases is it a good practice? Because we had a very diverse uh, code review practices at Microsoft. So some, somebody at Office, even within Office, right, would do it completely different than, for example, somebody at Windows and so on. And so we were yeah. trying to understand what makes code reviews really a good practice. What makes it, you know, where are the teams, what are the teams doing that are successfully doing code reviews and what are the teams doing that, you know, say, well, code reviews actually suck or we are not doing them or something <laughs> like that. Right. <laughs> so um, and so we tried to really distill that. And so we did a couple of studies and we also from what we learned, we were improving the own code review tool. And I think it was a really cool tool at that time, CodeFlow. Yeah. Hmm. So that, this is how yeah. I got started. And then when I wanted to somehow I run my own business, which came because I had the kids and things like that. And I wanted more freedom, to be honest. Um, mm. I was thinking, so what did I really enjoy the most, right? And code reviews was definitely something that I tremendously enjoyed working with people. It's, it's very social technical. So this means that you have like the social aspects of it, but you also have the technical aspect and it's very intertwined. 
Um, and so then I started just blogging about it and writing what I did at Microsoft because most of the things I didn't talk about much when I was at Microsoft, right? So, um, so later on, I started talking about that and then this somehow developed into what I'm doing right now. And um, yeah. Um, I love how you spent, uh, how long were you at Microsoft doing that work? So I joined 2013 and um, I left uh, last end last year. Mm, yeah, so you were there for like almost seven years or, or yeah, yeah. six or seven years. Yeah, six years, yeah. And the amount of stuff and experience that you had there um, just accumulated in an enormous amount of, of experience and, and knowledge around this idea of code reviews. And you saw um, lots of, you know, situations where things worked really well and, and things were it may have been better, yeah. <laughs> could have been better. And um and you're now able to take that experience and give that uh, as kind of a, a gift. You know, you're getting paid for it, but like a, a gift that you're you're offering to uh, other people, so they don't have to um, go through the whole trial and error, um, you know, process, uh, which you know the errors can be pretty bad. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so. So that's very awesome. I and and you know what? I think that it's really cool that we're at a, a time where people like you can specialize in that kind of a thing um, and make a really positive impact on the rest of us who are working on our day-to-day -day products or whatever it is. And we really don't um, have the time or even want to take the time to uh, to experiment with different things and and see how how different things work. So we can you know learn a lot from you um, as as you teach from your wealth of experience and knowledge. So I think that in general, niching down, and it's something that I that I read about probably one and a half years ago when I thought about what should I do with, with my business and things like that. And I mm. understood the theoretical concept of what it means, right, niching down, but I always felt like, oh, this is, I need to do more, right? I need to do more, I need to know more and things like that. Um, but the funny thing is that, for example, with this code reviews, first of all, I gravitated gravitated towards it again and again, over and over again. And it was one of the things that I wrote an article and I could write another one, you know, and then I wrote the other article mm -hmm. and I could write yet another one. And there was so much more. And over the years that I worked with code reviews, you know, there's still tons that I can learn more about it and that I can deep dive, deep dive uh, deeper into it, right? Which is very, very interesting because I also, I was a little bit skeptical. I was like, could I even make a business out of that, right? Or could I help mm. people enough? Is it is it not enough if you just go and read one blog post about code reviews? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? And, 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 and the, the funny thing is that that's somehow also how code reviews work right now. People are just expected to know everything about it. I mean, how hard can it be? Mm. You're open some, you know, editor, you're looking at some code, you're making some comments and that's it, right? And I think right. that's exactly why, why there is this, huge variety of experiences with it. It's either really good and it can be really, really horrible as well. And there, there is not mm -hmm. a lot of training, formal training around it. And um, so, yeah, I, I, th I think there is tons that you can learn. I mean, it's about how, how do we communicate with each other? How do we learn? How do we resolve conflicts, right? I mean, even those topics alone, you could, again, write a PhD out of it, right? <laughs> or do several PhDs there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and then there's also the technical aspects, you know, what do you focus on? Um, 
and things like that. Yeah. The policies, I think policies mm. are also really interesting. So how would you design your code review policies to actually really match your goals that you have with the, with, with code reviews and things like that? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was actually going to ask you about that because I imagine some people uh, look at this and think like, how could you possibly make a business out of this? I don't, I don't even see how you would need training. Like it's just open up the editor, type a couple of comments on the code and, and then move on with your day. Um, but it, it's a lot more than that, obviously. So um, what, what would you say are some of the things that people are missing when they just automatically assume that um, people know how to talk about code? Uh, in a code review setting? So for example, what I see in my workshops is that uh, junior devs often don't even know what they really should look at, right? So what should I say? Mm. Um, what should I focus at? Sometimes it has to do with that they don't feel in the position, right? To, to give feedback to their, you know, somebody that seems uh, ahead of them, something like that, right? Mm. Sometimes it has just to do with that they are not taught to, to do it, right? It would give them such a self-esteem boost and confidence boost if they would know, well, this is what we're actually looking for, or this is how we give, you know, code review feedback. This is how I phrase it. Um, but, but, but it's not only the junior devs, it's also people that, how, how should we resolve conflicts? Or a lot of things are unconscious, so that they are not aware of how this feedback can actually come across to the other side, right? Um, I think also a lot of people, we, we, if you, if people, if developers, if companies, if teams are doing code reviews, they're really spending a lot of time doing code reviews. And the question always becomes, is it, is it really helpful? And I think a lot of people mm -hmm. take the status quo, like this is how code reviews are, you know, this is how it are. And it, it's just taking it a, a week and they're not thinking that they can actually change something, right? And, and there are many ways that you could investigate what's actually happening in your code reviews. It could be data-driven. So I did a lot of data-driven studies at Microsoft where we really looked at millions of uh, comments that we analyzed uh, using AI or you know, machine learning, things like that. And then really? we run correlations, right? So for example, one study that I, uh, that I did was we were looking at code review comments and we could, first of all, we interviewed developers, right? So we were just sitting with them, getting data on what is a valuable comment and what's not valuable. And so we were sitting with developer over developer and manually marking, you know, what are they saying? And then you could use that information to build actually a decision tree, right? So some classifier, mm -hmm. and you can run that over millions of comments. And then you know millions of comments whether or not they are valuable or not valuable. And then you can look, for example, for characteristics. So what's happened if a review has more than um, 1,000 lines of code or 500 lines of code, right? You can fine tune that and see how that, for example, changes. And so we had graphs where you could see um, the, number light of, the number of lines of codes or the number of files in a review. And on the other hand, the density of valuable comments. And we could see that that's definitely going down, right? So you could see that there's a very mm -hmm. clear correlation. And so with those insights, and um, you can actually do something about your code review practice, right? You open up and you see, yeah. you know, how many, how many files are actually in my reviews. And if there are, let's say there are mm. 30 files, then it's not only uh, a drag for yourself, but it also means that you're not in a position to give valuable feedback. It's, it's just as easy as that, right? Mm. Um, or if you are a, a dev and you're on a different team and you're getting sent over 
code from somebody else, it's really hard for you to make any comments. We have so much data on that, right? People that previously mm. looked at comments or are familiar with the code base, they have a very different ability to give valuable comments. And so Absolutely. I wouldn't say that you're, you should not include, you know, for example, cross-team reviews, but you should have a very clear understanding of what is your goal with that? You know, what should they... What should you look at? Maybe you should not look at, you know, readability of your code base right now. Maybe you should just look at the API and you could also guide them. So I think there are many, many things if you, um, yeah, as you said, if, if you're if you're spending a lot of time thinking about how code reviews can be improved and uh, also looking at data, I think this is very important as well. Then there are many things that you can do. And it's just like many other things. You have to to know it, to be curious about it, learn it. Was a very long no, that's, answer, that's, right? <laughs> no, that was fascinating. Like, I, I am imagining the the things that you could create with that kind of a, a machine learned algorithm, um, where you know, as I'm preparing my pull request, I could get a little editor notification like this. This PR is starting to get kind of big. You might start thinking about chunking this up or something, and or uh, you know, I. I somebody invites me to review their pull requests and I get a little thing that says, you know, this one's a little bit bigger or more complicated. You might want to, you know, stop what you're doing, prepare yourself to, to review this well, or, um, yeah, that's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, or like maybe as I'm making the comment, a uh, little thing pops up and say, Hey, that's a little bit maybe aggressive, yeah. <laughs> maybe uh, change the way that you're saying that it's, it's fascinating. So, um, learning some of the, the things that you, uh, you learn like you you must have so much knowledge in your brain about how to how to go about making good um, you know good code reviews uh, and what what would you say are some of the biggest dangers for um, a team that is not intentional about making good um, having good positive code review experiences? Well, so I think there are three three levels that I always look at. One is the level of communication. So I think you can really burn a lot of uh, bridges um, and you can really hurt people with the code review comments, uh, be it intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, even if you're not aware and you're just, you know, uh, carefree, um, you're still, you can still hurt the feelings of people and, you know, leave mm. negative marks on their lives. And I think that's one of the things that that I would like to stress, um, having better communication skills, knowing, you know, be more compassionate about the other person. And, and, and it's something that you can learn, um, compassion, empathy, mm. all of those things um, you can learn. And for example, nonviolent communication is something that I teach in my code review workshops. And it's really mm. a wonderful tool. It's something, you know, also for, for, I would now say people like us with this very generalizing, <laughs> but um, as engineers, right? It's like an algorithm. It's something that you can learn. It's very, very, um, it gives you some recipe where you decipher, you know, messages and be more conscious about to, you know, to express your own feelings, your own needs, but also understand the needs and feelings of others. Um, so I'm a, a big fan of that. Um, and then there are other things like having small reviews. Small reviews are really, really important. A large review is not, it's not possible for a person to look at a large review and give you valuable feedback. That's it. There is, you know, mm. you can argue as much as you want. And for example, in one of my workshops or in some of my workshops, people would say, but I cannot break it up. I have that over and over. Like, but this is really, this is, this is the, the unit. 
it cannot be any smaller and you're looking at it in like maybe 5,000 lines of code. And yes, you can make that smaller. <laughs> I, I'm definitely telling you, you can make that smaller. And I think it has a lot to do with the same, the same as learning how to make a good software design. It's not hard, it's not easy at the beginning, but it's not hard, right? It's something that you have to train and to learn, to understand, you know, where's the right abstraction layer? What am I telling right now? And, and, and the same you can do with code reviews. So you can have like smaller code reviews and the purpose is probably different. And then you can um, compose those code reviews together to a larger review, but then what you're looking through. So the focus of your review will be very different. Also, maybe the person that you're asking to mm. review that code, right? So. Um, yeah, th this is definitely something that I, I would like people to take away. Make small code reviews. Um, they are much easier to review for everybody and um, you get better, better feedback uh, from it. Hmm. You know, um, sometimes it, like when, when I was at PayPal or, or pretty much wherever, if I was going to create a really big review and I knew like I was making a big change, um, that would impact many files, you know, refactoring the API for something that's just used everywhere. Um, one thing that I would do to help with that is I would make multiple commits where here's the commit where I do this thing. And then here's the commit where I apply that what I did to everything. And so like it all looks very similar. It's just, you know, updating this code to change what the name of that parameter is or something. Um, have you seen strategies like that work or do you have other strategies for good ways to break down big PRs? Yeah. So one of the things that I, um, advertise, maybe advertise is not the right word, but, um, advocate, mm. I think is the right word advocate for our stack commits. I don't know if you have heard of that. I should write it. No, I, I should write a blog post about it. I have a really long, <laughs> a long list of blog posts that I should write stack commits. So, um, yeah, in, in, instead of just making the commits then that you have in one PR, you would have several PRs and they are each of those PRs are on their own feature branch. So you branch out each of those commits and make an own pull request. And what what's easier with that is, I mean, it depends on your tool, right? But if you, for example, have GitHub mm. or GitLab, then it's easier to review that because the stack pull request, you would start with the very end, right? And then work your way forward. Um, you just see those diffs um, from that. So it's very similar to what you just said, but it's a little bit easier to, to even go about the review process itself. So if, if you can do that, I would do that. Um, also get familiar mm. with, um, um, with, with Git, because in Git itself, you can then you know, just add parts of your changes and add them. So for example, Git patch, it's actually called, right? So you can patch mm. parts of your changes into a single in, in separate commits. I don't know if that makes sense what, how I yeah, describe yeah. it. I would probably, it's a bit better if you have something to visual to see, but um, mm. it's, it's a very powerful tool within Git. And so you can then, for example, mark each line that you would like to go into a certain commit and, and redo those things. And that helps. So for example, as you said, um, the refactorings, they should go into one specific thing. They shouldn't be merged with something else because it's much easier if you have this mental model uh, of, well, now it's about refactorings, um, then this shouldn't be mixed with any you know changes to the functionality and things like that. And so with, with parts of Git, you can redo them. Let's put it that way. And there are other tricks. Um, I should mm. definitely write a blog post about that. But yeah, this is something that <laughs> that that um, I do some exercises on them as well, uh, so that people know how to how to break those up. So, for example, at Microsoft, there was a colleague of mine was doing 
a study and they were automatically um, detaching the commits and the, the reviews into coherent packages and they were exper experimenting yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah so it's, it's very important. Uh, yeah. Coherent commits. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, let's talk about the other side of the coin. So let's say that I am a developer and I, uh, I make a pull request. Um, and the person who's reviewing my pull request is uh, not being super nice um, about, you know, about their review. Um, what's something that I can do um, to, you know, maybe encourage better, better reviews? Um, or how do I deal with uh, people who just aren't interested in, in improving their review build or like how good they are doing code reviews? Yeah, I think it's, um, it really depends on how bad it is, right? Um, sometimes I think, especially with written communication, there's a lot of uh, research on that as well. Um, written communication is difficult because the, the receiver has to interpret the message completely, right? There are no tone, there's no tone, there is no facial expression, there is no body language that you can read. So whatever that person says, um, you have to interpret and you have to, and, and there are studies that shows that we are always on the negative side. So uh, people tend to negatively interpret that. So if there are two worlds, right, two, two truths or something like that, um, we tend to be on the negative interpretation side if we are reading something and um, much, much more negative than if we are hearing something. So for example, there was a study mm -hmm. by Kruger and it was about um, two people and they were, it, it was the same email as email that was sent to a group of people. And it was coming from, from two different um, senders and they just, they had no information about the sender, just the picture. And one was a punk, something like that, right? A, a wild person. And then the other was like a, a nicely dressed businessman or something like that, right? And then they sending those messages and the receiver had to, to rate the, their perceived intelligence of that person. And so they had like a, a Likert scale or something where they could say, well, do you think the person is intelligent or not? Uh, zero is no, that person isn't intelligent. And let's say four is they are very intelligent. And it was the identical email. It was just the picture was different. And mm. uh, yeah, the punk guy didn't really, I think it, it's around zero point something. Um, perceived intelligence points, right? And and the businessman was around uh, 3.9 or something like that, right? Mm. And then they had that person, was the same person, call. No facial, right? So they didn't see each other, but calling. So you had the voice and then the people had to rate again and it was leveling out. So just by having the person talk to you and listening to them, um, the perceived um, intelligent almost leveled out for, for the two people. So um, mm. this is just to say that, well, written communication is really tricky. So, well, what would I say? First is I would err on the side of caution. I would say maybe um, could you interpret it differently, right? So some people are very, mm. very focused when they are working. So they forgot, forget, forget all the necessities that you can do, right? Yeah, like saying yeah. hi or thank you or could you or please. <laughs> um, maybe it wasn't meant that way. Um, then you could make a, an attempt, you know, to to express what you need. So I would probably go back to really non-violent communication and thinking, well, what's the need that I have that isn't met here, right? So that would be um, 
I don't feel that they are, you know, that they are valuing me, for example, or I don't feel respected or whatever is going on here. Right. Um, I feel that, um, mm -hmm. so really thinking about what, what's wrong with this message? Why, why are you triggered by it? And then um, thinking what you would need and uh, thinking if you can have in a very actionable, positive request can uh, make that right. Say, oh, I would really appreciate if you could, you know, formulate your feedback in a more friendly way. Um, for example, could you, you know, say, please, <laughs> I, I, you can be very, yeah. you can be very concrete. I, it really depends on what, what's going on with that uh, message, right? So what, what's happening, but if, mm. if, if it's, if you really, in the end, you think, well, there's something going on, right? This is really to a toxic behavior. Um, then I think you can also ask somebody to help you maybe having a mediator, mm -hmm. right? Having, yeah, it, it, this becomes a more tricky situation. Um, I think there right. is no one answer to it. So you would have to see, see what, what's going on there and why, why it's going on there. But I wouldn't, you know, what I also see is that communities they are formed by the behavior that we allow. And um, mm. so if you just let it slip through, then this is, this is, you will get more of it, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. That's a very good insight right there. Um, it, it sounds like in general, there's also, you know, ch first check your own bias um, against, uh, you know, the assumptions that you're making on the, the message that they're trying to communicate or the way they're trying to communicate it. Um, but then especially uh, a good takeaway for the project maintainers is that last thing that you said, you know, the, the uh, types of behavior that you allow are the types of behavior that will continue yeah. and actually um, even even grow. So that's yeah, that's a great takeaway. Um, well, Michaela, it's been a, such a pleasure to, to talk with you um, a, about code review. And as we wrap up here, I wanted to just ask if there was anything else that you wanted to bring up that I just um, didn't ask a good enough question about, or uh, if there's anything else you wanted to mention right as we wrap up. No, maybe just adding to, to the last thing. So one of the things that I, I do recommend is to have a code of conduct for your code reviews. I think it's, it's mm. a good way to have that part of your policy. Um, and really make clear what which behavior is allowed and isn't allowed, and and what will happen, you know, if you're if you're breaching that. I think it, it, it's good, and I would advise that. Other than that, no, it was really mm. fun talking to you. It the time flew by. I didn't yeah. think it's thirty minutes already. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's been a good time. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge. It's just amazing the amount of stuff that you know about this, and and. Uh, just thinking about the amount of experience that you've had working with uh, teams and improving code reviews um, is awesome. So you actually do have a talk for for people who want to dive in deeper into uh, some like specific tips. It's called 10 Tips for Respectful and uh, Constructive Code Review Feedback. Uh, it's on YouTube, totally free. Um, so our homework for everybody is to uh, go and watch that. It's not super long. Um, and then uh, take a previous code review that you gave and critique your own review and see if there's anything that you could do to, to change that. Um, and then maybe apply some of those learnings to your next one. Anything you want to add to that? No, I think that's that's perfect. And if you can make that a habit on in your team, you know, to just review your reviews and see how it can improve, I think that, that goes a long way. Yeah. Very good. 
Awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming. Is there uh, just one last thing? What is the best way for people to reach out to you and uh, maybe hire you to give them some training on this? Okay. Um, well, the best way is uh, you can find me always on Twitter. Uh, you will probably link that there because it's not an easy handle. It's like M. Greiler again. <laughs> I should maybe change uh -huh. that as well. Um, and um, also via my website. So all my workshops are on there. Um, for corporate trainings, just send me an email. And um, yeah, sounds good. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, we'll chat with everybody next time. See ya. Sounds good. Bye bye.